0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, February 23rd, 2020. The share ID numbers for Friday, February 21st, are the following for the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 14,150. That's 14,150. For the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study 14152, that's 14152. This morning, A Vision for You presents honesty, open mindedness, and willingness in our spiritual practice. The 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, Can expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. As the result of our spiritual awakening, we've been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, and a new world has come into view. These results are truly disproportionate to our efforts. Yet, our efforts are required to sustain and enlarge it. We must persist on this road of happy destiny, and certainly honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness are virtues that are part of our daily spiritual practice. Life in recovery includes facing challenges and adjustments. There are always new skills and new behaviors to develop, and new attitudes to practice and strengthen. There are new situations, circumstances to trudge upon. The big book stresses the importance of living by spiritual principles. The steps continue to catalyze our inner growth, our new attitudes, and new spirit on the path of spiritual progress. Joining us today to speak about honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness in our spiritual practice is Patrick B., a recovered, compulsive overeater from Minnesota. Patrick is faithful to our 12-step way of life, and he's here to share his experience, strength, and hope with all of us this morning. And I'm delighted and greatly appreciative to have Patrick B. on the line this morning. Good morning, Patrick.
1: Good morning, Leah, and good morning all who are on the line. Um... First things first. It's a distinct privilege to be able to participate in this amazing um, uh, telephone fellowship that that's been created for a vision for you. I'm always honored when I'm asked, and I'm always slightly intimidated by the by the by the opportunity because I just see this as such a a sacred service. Um, you know, I hear people from Dublin and from all over the world. Um, and it's just an amazing way for the message of, of hope to be carried to the compulsive reader and anyone else who may be suffering from many things. Um a little bit about my uh my entry into uh Overeaters Anonymous and, and my introduction to the big book. My introduction to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous started in Alcoholics Anonymous. I got sober in uh by the grace of God, uh, I was separated from alcohol in 2003. Uh, but even that separation from alcohol didn't—I i hadn't addressed my my issues with with food, um, and it took a second surrender um, at the at the loving hands of a of a recovered, responsible member of Overeaters Anonymous who confronted me on my. Morbid obesity and my health issues. Um, oddly enough, at the 2015 International AA Convention, um, so it I it, it became evident to me pretty quickly uh, when I became abstinent in OA that my spiritual life had been bereft. I had been giving lip service to an experience that I wasn't practicing. Uh, I had become very familiar. With our texts, uh, I had become very eloquent at speaking about and telling you to do things um, that I didn't really actually have a practice. And, and so when Leah uh, proposed that I speak this morning, the, the thing that came into me was honesty, open-mindedness, and willing. I had to get honest at that point about the fact that I really didn't have a spiritual practice as it related to the 12 steps um and, and i'm specifically talking about steps 10 11 and 12 um but uh, what else, the other thing that i'm going to talk about this morning is is how 10 11 and 12 are intrinsically linked to the fidelity to which you work the first nine um without that foundational um work 10 and 11 and 12 can cannot have a lot of meaning and that's what i realized when after my you know, I like to call it my second surrender. It's probably my thousandth, but in some ways. But when I really realized that I had a, a that I was a compulsive overeater and that I was dying in the middle of a twelve step fellowship AA of another problem, um, I had to seek God in a in and 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 practice these steps in a different way. And so the text took on new meaning to me. And the thing that that I was directed to almost immediately. Um, are drawn to uh, almost immediately upon entry into Overeaters Anonymous and, and recommended by my my OA sponsor as well. I have two sponsors. I have an AA sponsor and an OA sponsor, and I think sponsorship is critical in this um, because I'm often directed to in in ways by sponsors that that allow me to seek spirituality and spiritual living in a different way. Um, I'm a man who entered into twelve uh, step. Uh, recovery in AA um who is viciously opposed to, to any sort of organized um faith and, and if you talk to me about the fact that that a god existed you were gonna have a fight on your hands. I was violently opposed to the idea um both internally and externally I, I simply shut down, I wouldn't have the conversation where I would I would blast you with anger and and retribution because I was raised in a home um that was rigidly religious and not practicing any spiritual principles at all. Um I was raised in a home where I was victim of and witnessed to things that no child should be witness of or victim of and I'm not blaming uh my parents alcoholism was eviscerating my family. Uh I understand now, um, as a man in recovery, what was going on there. The disease was present, the human beings that suffered from the disease, um, while responsible for their actions, they were suffering too. And I've come to a place of love and forgiveness um, for all of that, including myself. I, I think I would like to direct people to, if they have their big books, to page 567, in the fourth edition in in spiritual experience because i think it does such a wonderful job of of explaining it and i'm just going to read it verbatim and then i'll I'll talk more about how how to connect this to the to the initial nine steps and then share about the practices i have with 10 11 and 12. Um, spiritual experience the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. We often read about Bill's experience there um, you know, the sort of the white light experience he had in the, in the hospital. And we, we hear other descriptions of that early on of people having these sudden revolutionary changes. Um, happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. What they're really indicating to us there is the fact that you don't have to have a white light experience in order to grow spiritually. Um, so if you know if you haven't had the burning bush welcome I, I think that the, the the educational variety that they speak about later in this in this reading is important in the first few chapters. A number of sudden revolutionary changes are described, though it was not our intention to create such an impression. Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations of frequency are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. I believe that every minute of the experience I had for the first 11 years that I was in recovery from alcoholism that led me to OA and and another surrender were intended for me
0: it had to happen
1: that way that's my story that's my journey that's that's without sobriety i can't get to a place where i realize that i have much more work to do to become a spiritual man and i've said it on this on this meeting before that what i realized when i got abstinent is that i was trying to foster a spiritual experience in a sick temple my body needed to be healthy in order for the for for a spiritual experience to be vibrant, it's not that you can't be spiritual if you're ill, but if you're knowingly participating in in a in a in a behavior that is destroying your physical being, the spirit is going to suffer as well, because this is about mind, body, and spirit. Um, and I would propose that for us, um, and I'll speak to my own experience, but for me it needed to be spirit, mind, and body. The book talks about that if we take care of our spiritual life, everything else will follow, Um, and I think that's important. most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could have hardly been brought about himself alone. You know, if you're here today on this call, if you've attended meetings of is Anonymous, if, if, you've, if you're brand new to us, welcome. That's you're beginning to have a spiritual experience. The spiritual experience, I believe, awakens in a person when they're willing to surrender to the idea that they need help to change. That is the beginning. What often takes place in a few months could have seldom been accomplished by years of self discipline. With fuse and and I, I that one rings so true for uh overeaters I think because how many different ways of self-discipline around food did you try and our addiction is different we have to eat um so the compulsive overeating or whatever behavior that it is the the you know the purging or or whatever it may be for you um we can't stop taking nutrition into our bodies it that'll kill us right um so we, how many different ways self-discipline wise, I'll stop this way or I'll do this or I'll eat this or I'll go on this plan or, you know, how many millions of dollars have been spent on on various sundry um, outside attempts uh, programs, you know, the TV is rife with them every New Year's, you, you know, every other commercial is for some new way to lose weight or gain weight or do whatever it is. Uh, With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. If you're struggling with the idea that there's a power greater than yourself, I would ask you to look at your third voice internally, the one that said, this needs to change, the small, still, quiet voice inside you that says, you can do better. Let's get some help. Now, my mind and my ego, I have an intellectual voice, a voice from ego that I try to keep in check with with the humility that the steps brings me um, and God brings me. But I have that, that small, still, quiet voice that said to me on that bench that day when I was being 12-stepped into OA, that said to me, she's right, you need to listen, shut up. Because I could have easily defended with all my recovery ego. I could have easily started spouting quotes from the big book and doing whatever. But in that moment, I was quiet. And I began to cry. I began to weep because someone was looking and someone was willing to put their fingers in my wound, so to speak, and to help begin to clean that wound out. She knew there was an answer for me. She saw a lot of herself in me. And she had the courage to confront me on my BS. Right? Because what I was presenting was BS. I was talking about a program I wasn't working. I was looking good and not being good. I'm much more inclined today to sit quietly in my in my 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 meditation space in the morning than I am to, to purport to what a spiritual life I'm living. And I'm not on this call to tell you that I'm perfect on this. It 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 goes all kinds of sideways in different ways. Um I've had Lots and lots of ups and downs with this. But I can say that I have fidelity to the practice of 10, 11, and 12 today because of all those experiences, because I've gotten away from it, because I didn't have one for a, 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 a practice that I would call consistent or meaningful for so long. Um, most of this of this, think this awareness of a power greater than their stars is the essence of spiritual experience. So if you're aware of a, of a power greater than yourself inside of you, you welcome. You're on, the, you're on the road. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems. Well, what are my problems? What, what are they talking about? Well, A, I'm powerless, step one. Two, I, I, I've struggled to believe, right? Step two, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. If I'm behaving insanely, and here's the thing. I was behaving insanely sober. I was overeating sober. I had stopped drinking, and I almost killed myself with alcohol. I'm a guy who walks out of intensive care wards after having heart attacks during DTs. So the need for Alcoholics Anonymous was pretty obvious. But now I'm sitting in the middle of a 12-step fellowship dying of another addiction, right? Telling you that I'm living a spiritual life. I'm living in complete duality, right? Um, my problem was the insanity that I could somehow control this other thing because you weren't going to take it away from me. Most emphatically, we used to say any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. And here's here's in the italics. By the way, if it's in italics in this book, it's important, and, and there's there's a story about the printing of this book originally, and italic print was more expensive because it was all handset lead print, so they really used it sparingly for significant emphasis. Now we can just change a font on a computer. It doesn't sometimes carry the weight, but w- italics in this book are really important, so you know, pay attention. They're yelling at you, basically, is what my first AA sponsor told me. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. You can't do it without it. But these are indispensable. And that did, it, the meaning of that phrase didn't hit me until I was abstinent in, in OA for a couple of years. That I cannot have a spiritual experience without willingness, open-mindedness, and will, and and honesty in looking at my practice, being honest with myself first. You know, it says in how it works, rigorous honesty, right? Well, I, I'm not a guy that's inclined to that level of discipline in his life. Um, as a matter of fact, y- you can have that. I I'm, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and not pay the price. That's my my baseline problem is, as it says in step four, Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. I wanna do what I want, when I want, how I want, without paying the price. And oftentimes that means getting out the door, I gotta go to work, I gotta, I gotta, I, I wake up with the I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, and now what happens is pretty, right after the first I gotta, the second one is I gotta pray, I gotta sit, I gotta meditate, I do my writing practice in the morning, Um, I I do things in the morning that that orient me to the fact that there's a power greater than myself that can take my day, that can bring my day to me as opposed to me going out and trying to force the day. And obviously the the quote here, uh, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. The problem I had, my most refined skill, as a as an alcoholic and a compulsive overeater is my ability to give you my opinion about an experience that I haven't had yet. In other words, I will tell you that something won't work having not tried it, having not exercised actual writing of a 10th step on a daily basis, um, not engaging in a meditative, a, a, you know, a, a mindful meditative practice. I, I, I will simply try to operate without those things. I won't pray. I won't seek um, other things, and again, the man that's speaking to you is someone who came into the fellowships violently anti-religious, as the book says. I was opposed to any idea because of, of things that had happened to me when I was a boy. So convince me that it's okay to, to, to create a, a power greater than yourself, and that's where step two and, and we agnostics was so important for me. Um, it, it it was critical in, in, in the in the in the fact and you know the the for me what what really helped me um was there was a couple of things in, in we agnostics. When we saw others solve their problems by a simply re, simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our our God ideas did not work, but the God idea did. I saw people who were recovering, especially I saw you know, vital demonstrations of people living differently and living better. Um, I couldn't deny things, right? I, I saw in them that this worked. And then page 53, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't, what was our choice to be? I had a, a, a mentor of mine tell me Related to this quote, he said to me, Patrick, it's easy to tell if God is everything or he is nothing in your life. Just look at your actions on any given day. Not what you think or believe, but what are you actually doing? What are your hands and feet doing? That is your commitment to God being everything or else he is nothing. Are you committed to all three sides of the triangle that we see on our chips, recovery, service? um and the other one escapes me at the moment but but you know there we have three three sides to the coin um and and so to the triangle and and we have to have that foundation so you know after that there's there's this step 3 proposition right and and we get to the step 3 prayer god i offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt to build with me would indicate that it requires my participation. That God's not going to do for me what I can do for myself. And as it related to step 10 and 11 and 12, I had to to believe that I I never doubted that I had something to offer as far as service and sponsorship and doing that. That I enjoyed, that I was good with. but, But the preparation for that, the consistent willingness to look at 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 my mistakes and and by the way this may seem nitpicky but the book very the book doesn't talk about looking at our part the book very specifically asks you look to resolutely look at my mistakes to disregard the other person entirely as it relates to resentment right and it asks some specific things around the fear as well some considerations and you know the 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 thing that, that is reported back to me at times is that, is that well it's it's rigid well they wrote the book rigidly for a reason people were dying in the street of alcoholism literally at the time and they knew that this worked and by the way they introduce you to the idea of precision in the forward to the first chapter or the forward to the first edition you know where it says we are 100 we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered in italics is the main purpose of this book how precise is your practice are you willing to look at that right are you open-minded enough to take a look at what it is you're doing in these steps with these steps on a day-to-day basis and be honest with yourself and then maybe someone else to be accountable because here's what changed the game for me in in steps 10 11 and 12 a high level of accountability to my sponsor and a couple of other people around what that looks like i have what i call a 10-step crew i have people that i can call during the day and say hey i've got a 10-step item for you i write 10 step inventory every night and that doesn't mean it's this this long process it's simply answering the questions that are in the big book you know was i selfish was i was there anything and i'm just honest about that and i'm transparent with it i think the thing where one of the places i know people get get um get hung up is is in in the action you know there's a couple of things um but it says we t- we speak to someone immediately in that 10th step, right? Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, this is a step 10 instruction on page 84. We ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. You know, I was more than willing to look at, at my mistakes. I wasn't really willing to talk to anybody about them when I was clean. Right, because I had this perception that I was in here to appear well. I was much more concerned about how I appeared than how I actually was living. Because I live in 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 this in this um, in this duality, and it's interesting because in into action in the in the um, in the int- introduction to the fifth step. They talk about that on page 73. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. I can do that sober and abstinent. I cannot be drinking, not compulsively overeating, and be the actor. I can live in that duality. I can propose to you that I'm willing to live a spiritual life, but I'm not really committed to the fact that these first nine steps need to have a level of fidelity of them um, that's, that's that's a little bit disconcerting. Uh, he To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellow to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but he knows in his heart he did not deserve it. When I came into recovery, I wanted the reputation of being the big shot, the guy that gets asked to speak, right? And a lot of that happened because I appeared to do well, but there was no authenticity to it. There was this, the, you know, I, I was getting to podiums in AA at 350 pounds dying of type 2 diabetes telling you to live a spiritual it just it wasn't sustainable so this this surrender and even into abstinence i still had this idea that i was that that you know there was some place to arrive there was some place to 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 get to there was this graduation ceremony or the certificate on the wall and it just wasn't the, <laughs> it just wasn't the case so i i had to really look at okay what is, your, what is your practice? And one of the things that helped me was my OA sponsor really working with me in steps eight and nine. It is my personal belief, and this is a personal expression of, of my experience, that it is really, really difficult to have a vital spiritual experience if there are remaining amends that are unaddressed. And that doesn't mean that, that, you know, some amends can't be made. That much I understand. There are amends on my list that I simply will not be able to, to to address because the people are either not with us anymore, or there are there are some things. I believe that if there are amends on a person on my when when there were amends on my list that I was unwilling to go to it, I was unwilling to ask for the willingness as I'm directed to do in the book. That's what was hanging me up from having. A, a, a tenth and eleventh step practice that had some fidelity to my uh, conception of a power greater than myself right I had a conception i developed a conception i returned to an idea of a of a power greater than myself that had worked for me um, as a young man and and i re, i was able to return to that but i couldn't have a practice that that engaged me in that process that I spoke of in step three, you know, to build with me. If I'm to build a spiritual structure, you know, I need to have materials. I need to have books. the 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 book uh, The Big Book directs us to, you know, men of uh, be quick to see where they are right. Men of religion, and and I'm not recommending that anybody go religious to a religious order or or faith of any sort. This is a deeply personal journey and and we agnostics addresses that beautifully broad roomy and all inclusive never exclusive or forbidding it is clear that what they wanted us to do was simply to begin to seek to seek a relationship with a power greater than yourself and that's no more into action it it just says says it beautifully at the beginning of the chapter on page 72 having made our personal inventory what shall we do about it we've been trying to get a new attitude a new relationship with our creator and to discover the real obstacles in our path the entire process of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is designed to allow you to open up to a relationship with a power greater than yourself and I think all of us have been in in some of us have had really excellent relationships with human beings in our lives. And, and I think all of us have probably had some contentious ones. They require participation and effort and commitment to 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 work. And I get asked a lot, well, what do you do? How do you do your step 10 and 11? And, and I, <laughs> it seems really kind of, I read the big book and I read it every morning and I read 84 through 88 and I start at this thought brings us to step 10 and I do that on a daily basis and I don't get hung up on mechanics. Well, this is step 10 and this is step 11. It's a personal walk. You know, we, we can, I can sit here and debate with you all day, which is supposed to come first. Okay. I can die right in the middle of that. I can die spiritually and I can return to the food. I think sometimes in, 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 in our fellowships, we get hung up on mechanics and not, the relationship. I am, the, the the process of working the first nine steps is, is intended for me to have enough humility to say, I will begin to practice these principles in all my affairs. And when it says to me, this thought brings us to step 10 on page 84, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory. Well, I took my personal inventory with a pencil in my hand. So, I write ten step inventory on a daily basis um, and to continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along, we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past um, it's it's again it's really important that that I'm current with my amends. Are my amends current? Are there things lingering because that's an obstacle that will stay in my path to this relationship with God um on page 85, it says, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are tr- headed for trouble for, if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we have is a really, really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee, thy will, not mine, be done? I mean, I have a a mentor in my life who asked me, how many times today did you ask yourself that question? How can I best serve thee? How many times did you turn to your God and say, how can I best serve thee today? You know, if I'm honest with you, last week it was maybe twice out of, you know, eighty four hundred gajillion thoughts that went through my head twice, I said, How can I best serve thee? Um but I did it twice, which is two times more than I did when I was in active addiction. So I'm not gonna beat myself up for it. Um and that's the other thing I'd like to I'd like to just add this morning is I have somebody from um, the al-anon fellowship in my life who acts as a guide and occasional mentor and and i converse and we have coffee occasionally and and they remind me on a regular basis just put the whip down just put the whip down whatever it looked like yesterday it can begin to change today if if it hasn't if you haven't been doing don't judge it that's your experience that's it that that all of my difficulty and resistance and lack of commitment to this program absolutely had to happen, and I am not to judge that because I have found it useful in the sponsorship of other people. I have been able to pull people in in my in AA and on on this uh, in in OA as well, and say to them, "Yes, you're not overeating, but what does your spiritual life look like?" I get it all the time. You know, I'm 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 following my food plan. I'm calling my sponsor. I'm doing all this, but it doesn't, I don't feel like I have a relationship with God. And then I'll ask him, well, what's your prayer and meditation practice? And it's, well, it doesn't exist. The third step is really clear to build with me. It requires my participation and it requires my participation in all of these steps. Um, I think one of the places that it, that it, that it really it, 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 it speaks to us pretty loudly is on page 76 as it relates to 6, 7, 8, 9. And I know it seems like I'm jumping around here, but the foundational practice of the first nine steps is what will allow you to have a meaningful, fulfilling relationship with a power greater than yourself that you get to decide on in steps 10, 11, and 12. I just don't think it's possible to to do that if my if my spiritual house is built on a shaky foundation in those first nine steps, it's going to be troublesome it's going to be difficult I'm going to experience the spiritual malady that that our book talks about on page fifty two in the middle paragraph where i what well, you know am I having trouble with personal relationships? We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems this same readiness to change our point of view. Were we having trouble? These are great inventory questions. I look at this twice a week. And I ask myself questions in a in a form of a consideration. Am I having trouble with a personal relationship? Have I been able to control my emotional natures this week? Have I been prey to misery and depression? Turning them into to, to, you know, into into considerations, declarative statements. Um how did I show up at work where it says we couldn't make a living? We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. What do my actions say about how I'm living in that, in that way? And, you know, I can report to you that as I looked at it today, uh, this morning earlier in preparation for the talk, I, yeah, man, I had a really good week last week. Not, not much of that was present. And and I attribute that to the fact that I have um, a regular practice, a daily Um, prayer, meditation, and inventory practice as it relates to step 11 and 12. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here. If you follow the directions in the big book, um, you will be led to seeking a relationship with God. And by the way, that has led me outside of the big book to many, many other spiritual practices and texts and investigations and seeking. I'm sitting here looking at a stack of books Various texts that I'm happy to share with you on a phone call or, or maybe, you know, just in another context, um, titles of, of books from, from many, many spiritual writers and, and, and ways of approaching, um, living a spiritual life that I've investigated and seek. And and I'm, I'm huge on that. People ask me all the time, Hey, I'm interested in this, in this book. What do you think? And I, I say, read it because we're here to seek it doesn't say anything in the book about finding God. And and I hear people a lot say when they come to 12-step fellowships, particularly um, in Overeaters Anonymous, you know, I I found God here. I would propose to you that God found me long before I was ever in a chair in a way. I think God found me, you know, um, right away as a boy, um and and led me to this life of recovery, even in the midst of it, because how else does it happen? How else do I show up here? Why does a, a random human being sit down next to me at a convention in 2015 and ask me questions two minutes into an introduction, penetrating difficult, hard questions about how I was living my life as a member of of that fellowship? And it, that leads me to OA, and it saves my life. Um, I, that kind of courage can only come from someone who is spiritually fit. We have a, I think, I have, I will speak for myself, I have a responsibility to other people who are suffering from this disease to be as spiritually fit as I can so I can can gently, lovingly, compassionately confront the illness. And you know, it would have been easy for me that day to take it personally. I, uh, I don't know why I didn't. I, I, I just, I guess I knew at some level that I was suffering. It was pretty obvious, you know, when you're 385 pounds and limping around in the in, the, in a you know at a convention of a fellowship that you love, it's pretty hard to deny. But um, st- on page 76, it it, it it laid it out for me, and and. It was really in, in the step six instruction. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. Um, when ready, we say something like this, and it goes into the seven-step prayer Uh that instruction, if we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing, has saved my life on a number of occasions. I clang, clung to the idea that I couldn't have a spiritual experience or that I couldn't explore anything just because of how I'd been treated as a boy and, and the religiosity that was, that was came into me. And I have a vital spiritual life now because I kept asking God, help me be willing, help me be willing, help me be willing, help me be willing. I kept turning to this power that I can't even—I couldn't even give real definition to and said, help me be willing. I still ask for willingness on a daily basis because left to my own devices, I am the man who wakes up and says, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, and I'm out the door without any spiritual practice whatsoever. Um, I am someone who does most of my practice in the morning. I can report to you that I have difficulty at night um, concentrating or focusing i'm usually pretty tired and and by the time it's around bedtime um i i i i need to sleep um now i do pray before i go to sleep and i if i've had a difficult day um or or a day where i haven't shown up that well and trust me that happens um more than i'd like to report to you but it does um then i then i then i'll jot down a few things quickly but i I'm I'm usually not nearly as able to focus as well as I do when I wake up and 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 get to my my uh my spiritual practice. And you know again referring to the book we have a set of specific clear-cut directions on how to live this way. And I think one of the things that I resisted was one and one of the things that, one of the ways my ego took me sideways was this idea that well I know the book well the book speak the book being a spiritual text and 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 the reason i think this this text has persisted and helped so many people is that no matter where i'm at in my life i will find uh if i read this book regularly i will find an uh new experiences with with certain sections of it um and the thing that jumped out at me just recently is um uh, the bottom of page 84 we have ceased fighting anything or anyone and it rang my <laughs> the bell rang in my head stop fighting yourself just stop fighting yourself you are who you are flaws all the all the things you do well all the flaws everything you are a human being who it, it was intended to be exactly who you are how you are in this moment Breathe, just be present to everything that you are. And if you really look at it and you look at the things in your life and the relationships and the people and and, and all of it, look at how much grace and love and compassion and willingness you've, you've displayed even to be here. That's God consciousness for me. The fact that I'm here, the fact that I'm working, the fact that I'm seeking, the fact that I'm willing. That's God consciousness. It isn't some big bang where I'm, you know, I mean, I'm a guy who wants to sit in a chair, meditate for five minutes and levitate, right? I don't want to give that 10 years of of practice. I don't, you know, I want to meditate four times, have, you know, some profound experience and tell you I'm well for the rest of my life. That's how I roll. But the truth is, is I need to practice this. I need to do it on a daily basis. It says we have fight, cease fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. The sane thing for me to do is to try, is to work at this, right? Um, and then it talks about. It goes to uh, the bottom of eighty-five. Step eleven suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy in this matter of prayer. Better people than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. And the proper attitude for me was, Patrick, you don't know jack about having a spiritual experience. Why don't you investigate it? And then going to work on it, reading those books that I was interested in, talking to people, having conversations about it, being willing to investigate. It would be easy to be vague on this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions when we retire at night we constructively review our day i'm not that great at that um I, it's better than it used to be it's an area in which i could perform some um fidelity uh, some better fidelity to um and and you know i'm i'm continue to be willing. But as I said, it gets to be about 8.30 or 9 o'clock central and I'm out because I get up at 4.30 every day. I do rise at 4.30 a.m. seven days a week. That's a discipline that's just sort of developed for me. I'm not telling anybody to do it. I'm saying it's something that's worked for me consistently. And we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once. One of the things that I kept to myself all the time was this sense of not belonging or this not feeling connected to to God or, or my fellows um it was difficult for me it was really hard um, and so it's it's uh it's been you know a process of of again putting that whip down not judging myself not judging others and not not having a specific idea of what this spiritual experience should look like but just working working at it being, being diligent to the, to the practice. Um, on awakening, we think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, uh, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. That instruction has changed my life in many, many ways. Um, and, and one of the tools I use is, is something called the set aside prayer. That's that's not in the big book, I understand that, but it's been useful for me. Um, you know, it's it's something I'm willing to share with people. On, on uh, if if uh, you know if you'd like to call me or, or or text me or something, I'm happy to share it with you. Um, but. But using that prayer has opened me up to the idea that I can have a new experience on a daily basis with this God of my understanding. And by the way, the God of my understanding may change in any given day. That, you know, the possibility exists for me to, um, to to as my life evolves, as circumstances change, to expand. And, and I've recently had some experience with that. Um I realized that that you know in in my employment life and and so forth I really had to let go of some ideas about what it looked like um or what I wanted it to look like what I believed it was supposed to look like and I've been led to a to a, a whole new paradigm in that area that's really exciting and really intimidating and really frightening um but it it, it because I was you know asking God to direct my thinking um and, and divorce me from self seeking motives, um, things have changed. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. Um, you know, am I willing to believe that God can direct my life on a daily basis? And oftentimes, people, um, you know, say, well, how do I know what God's will is for me? And for me, it's simple. I know the difference between right and wrong. God's will for me is to be as kind, loving, compassionate, understanding, and willing to help other people as I can be with healthy boundaries. And man, that's a big bite, that healthy boundary thing. That's a, that's, that whole thing is a big bite. That's a big task. I'm going to need some people around me who are on the same path, and that's where all of you come in. The fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous, the fellowship of my other 12-step program, the people who I have seen who are willing to seek this and stumble and stub their toes and break their legs and hit their heads and get up and keep moving, right? The persistence of that newcomer who keeps coming back even though they're consistently relapsing. Man, that's a spiritual experience watching someone with that dogged persistence to get clean and And oftentimes we'll say to about that person, "Well, you know they don't want it bad enough,, hey, they're showing up. you know, I can't judge what's in a person's heart. What I can do is offer the solution that's available to us if I'm spiritually fit, what I will see is a sick person, not one that i s- that I'm supposed to judge and and trust me you know i'm 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 the judge jury and executioner on any given day without a God of my understanding in my life um one of the things I love most is on page 87. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially from freedoms from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish sins. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and that doesn't work, and it easily you can easily see why. And, and repeated use of that paragraph in my life and just reading it and contemplating on it and sitting with it in mindful breath has led me to a simple concluding prayer for my practice in the morning, and it is simply this, help me help them. It is. It has led me to have experiences helping alcoholics in my other fellowship and overeaters in, in this fellowship uh, in ways that I never thought I was capable of doing. That it, is, it has led me to, to, to having the experience of watching people's lives blossom and change and to watch them do things that they never thought were possible in their life as a result of, of, of being spiritually fit. Um, it is amazing to see the transformative transformative power of God in people's lives. It is such a gift to be present to that. So if you're listening this morning and you're thinking, "Man, it's you know, oh, who is this guy and what what is this level of discipline that he's asking of us?" I'm not asking of of you, and neither is God. The book is is suggesting to you that the more you're willing to work towards this, the harder the more commitment that you're willing to give to to the idea that this relationship requires your participation in a way that has some meaning and, and and fidelity to you um your life can change it it's it's certainly been true in my life um and and I know it's been true in many others um and I, and just on, at the end uh at the end of 87 and into 88 um it says you know, if circumstances weren't, we ask our wives, our friends to joining us in morning meditation. I happen to go to a meditation class once a week in the morning because I like to meditate in community with other people. It's just something I do. If we belong to a religious denomination, which requires a a definite morning devotion. We attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and mem- memorize a few set prayers, which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. The ones in the book work just fine. The ones in the big book work just fine. There are many helpful books also. I have that highlighted in my big book because it has led me to seek out these other uh, avenues of spirituality and, and writers and, and just people of faith who... It's just been a wonderful exploratory uh, process for me. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi, or Amazon.com, for that matter. I mean, you know, if you type spirituality into the Amazon search bar, you're going to come up with a lot of stuff. And and I, you know, the thing that I suggest to people is go where you're interested. If if you're interested, go there. See if it. Does, if you read four pages and set it down, okay, on to the next. But you never know where it's going to take you, and my willingness to explore these spiritual paths um, that I'm willing to share with people off off the call has is, um, is really been helpful. Um, be quick to see where pro- religious people are right, make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. We are then in much less less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decision. We become, and every time I picked up food was a foolish decision for me. And at some point I knew that, but I couldn't, you know, because I wasn't spiritually fit, I couldn't remain clear of it. Uh, We became much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not bringing up energy foolishly. Uh, as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. At work, it really does. We, are al- we alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. If you lack the discipline, or if you feel like you know you haven't been able to do this, it is as simple as using the text in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous very carefully, very diligently, in a committed way that will lead you to this experience. The big book was written in a way to lead us to this, to this individual experience. I believe it is a platform for me to launch out on a journey that I can explore spiritual principles in my life, that I can apply them in a daily way. But I do think that the the key thing there is the honesty, the open-mindedness and the willingness. I have to be honest with other people about where I'm at with this. I have to be willing to change and to take difficult actions and to look at areas of my life that are uncomfortable and, 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 uh, very, you know, sometimes not so um, not so pleasant to look at. Um, we alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined, but this is not all. There is action and more action. Faith without works is dead. The next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. All this spiritual fitness is designed to do is to allow me to go help other people. Um, alcoholics and overeaters first, and then anyone else that I encounter in my life. I'm fortunate in that I sponsor a number of men in AA, and I sponsor people in OA as well. Um, I'm currently full on that roster in OA, um, but it is, again, the, the joy of my life that if I have these practices in my life, I get to be a part of other people's recovery and share this message on phone calls like this on a um, when I'm asked. Um, again, I am honored and privileged to have participated in this. And um, I, I think um, that's all I have to share today. And uh, I will pass, and I know that there's a question and answer session. So I, I look forward to that as well. Thank you all.
0: Thank you so much, Patrick, for your generous spirit this morning and your inspiring and thorough an outstanding presentation. Thank you very much. The share ID, mm-hmm, the share ID for today's presentation, fourteen thousand one hundred and sixty. That's one four one six zero. Patrick's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so please stay tuned for that. And indeed, where you are. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Patrick by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need the first name as well as the first letter of your last name, please. Elizabeth D. Mary Lee and Eugene Orkus. I got Mary Lee. I missed the others. Elizabeth D. Phyllis D. Maria. Maria Maria. Elizabeth D. Elizabeth D, thanks for your perseverance there. K. K. Elizabeth D. Yes, I have yeah. you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Santa H. Santa H.
2: Lynn F. K.
0: Lynn S. Is it Lynn S? No, S as in brain. Oh, gotcha. Thanks. Sharon K. And Sharon K. Thank you for your patience there. Okay, this list contains Mary Lee R, Phyllis D. Maria F, Elizabeth D., Santa H., Lynn F, and Sharon K. Did I miss anybody? Okay. Let's begin with this group. Mary Lee Mary Lee R. Everyone else please mute. Thank you very much. Good morning patrick Leah, good morning all these wonderful people um, Could you talk
3: about your healthy boundaries
1: yes ah uh, well that yeah I could talk all day about uh developing healthy boundaries in and it really was a journey that that led me to um, to o a the 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 way that I learned to have healthy boundaries um was coming to be aware relationships in my life that were relatively toxic. Um and so uh it was through difficult experiences and I sought out um some members of our of, of the Al Anon Fellowship I wouldn't I didn't become a member of Aladon, but I sought out some assistance and I did some inventory work around this and over time, I began to realize that I could you know lovingly decline the invitation to engage in toxic behavior um, I didn't have to be involved with people or relationships or work situations I, that that The thing that came out and clear to me is, is that it's my responsibility. To take care of what I've invited into my life, um, and what whoever is present in my life is there by my invitation at some level. Um, you know, if I'm in a bad relationship, if I have people that I work with that, that I don't that are toxic or whatever, I'm there by my invitation. Um, and and that awareness was difficult, but it allowed me to begin to look at who and what I was inviting into my life and to change those things. Um, and to get guidance. And I did that with, I did that with therapy. I did it with, uh, being surrounded by healthy people. I sought out, um, uh, some academic folks that, that, helped me with, you know, um, I, I, I got a master's in leadership in, in, um, in my journey to, in recovery. And, and one of the things that I learned was, is that, you know, in the academic community, there are a lot of people who are, are, um, educated about um, how to have healthy boundaries just because they deal with so many different types of personalities. So there were some some significant human beings that helped me with that. It was about asking for help if you really want to boil it down to having healthy boundaries. And my boundaries are that if if I'm working at changing, I'm being willing to change. and, And if I'm involved with people who are just can't seem to come to the ability, I can still love them but I don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time trying to help them. Um, and and being a sponsor has really, really helped me develop healthy boundaries. Um, and I'm, I'm transparent about that, too, because I don't do that. God does it for me. So I have to be transparent about the relationships in my life. So it goes on my inventory. It's taken into meditation. Um, and I know that my primary purpose is to help others. So uh, I have to be involved. But those boundaries have developed over time and with a lot of commitment to the idea that I'm in charge of what I invite into my life. So that's it.
0: Thank you, Mary Lee. Maria F., your turn.
3: Good morning, Patrick, and thank you for a wonderful, wonderful share. Um, My name is Maria F., I'm from Dublin in Ireland. And Patrick, you just spoke about transformation of your spiritual practice and And you spoke about the fidelity and the discipline in that practice today. And you did mention, Patrick, there's a vital component in this transformation. You said that um, accountability was a huge um, factor in that transformation. And I wonder if you could just share a bit about what that accountability looks like today?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, I have have a sponsor that I talk to on a daily basis. Um, And I read her my 10th step. and we discuss uh, if there's things on it that need to be addressed. Um, ultimately, I think it's it's about me being willing to be honest about that. You know, it says honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, right? I'm open-minded about the idea that I've yet to achieve perfection. Uh, my ego would love to report to you that that's true. Um, my family will report to you that it's not. Uh, so the accountability is really starts with my sponsor, but then I have a circle of close friends. I have um, two uh, close friends who are not in recovery. And I think this is important as well, um, who are just willing to look me in the eye and tell me the truth about stuff that I've got going on in my life. They're, they're friends that I've had for many, many years. And I have two people in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous who we've, we've given spiritual consent to each other to confront any issues we see with program or anything, um, and I often speak to them about some of this stuff. But the accountability really begins with my sponsor, and it's my willingness to to live in a transparent way. There are, I would say, probably five or six people on this planet who know everything that's going on in my life most of the time. Um, and. So especially big challenges. This week I'm going to have a, a shoulder, uh, my left shoulder repaired uh, arthroscopically. I have a torn rotator cuff on the left side. There will be uh, narcotics on board for a day or two. Five people are in on that conversation, and I won't keep the clock. That's just an example of the accountability in my spiritual life because I see that as a spiritual practice. Um, so it's it's really about having quality relationships with people you can trust uh and, and that has developed over time. It's taken a while for me to identify who those folks are and it changes occasionally. You know, people's lives change, situations change. But I think it's it's that again, that's that willingness to say this is something I need in my life. So who are the people that I can commit to being honest with on a daily basis about what's going on day to day? So that's what that looks like.
0: Thank you, Maria F. for the question, Elizabeth D
3: thank you. hi, can I be heard? Yes, you are heard thank you um, patrick um good morning um I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in the Boston area, and deeply grateful for your um special edition this morning. I'm coming off of a February school vacation week with my daughter. Uh, we were away. It was very busy, very enriching outdoor activities, just a wonderful week. And I decided I could take the week off from my 11-step morning practice. Mm. Uh, way, way off the beam, and um, resentments cropping up, and, um, you know, my abstinent food I started thinking about between meals. Um, so I'm coming to this meeting, and I'm hearing exactly. What I need to hear, and it just reminds me yet again that I have a higher power in charge. Um, and if I just make myself available um, to to it and surrender, then I'm I'm going to get right back on track. But here's my question: I want to hear more about that third voice you talked about. Um, I do twelve step. I do twelve step work, and um, uh, I work with a lot of people who are. Um, who, like me, have had relapse, a history of of relapse. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I find is, you know, there are those trap doors at step four and step nine. Um, What I found in my recovery, that it was absolute desperation that finally got me willing to surrender this. And I really related to that third step voice you talked about. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying. I've been trying to describe to the, struggling to describe to the people that I'm working with it, the, you know, who are saying, well, I, I can't. I get this way. I, I just had to be desperate. So if yeah. you, ta- I just, I feel like there's a connection between desperation, and that third voice. And if you could, am I right about that? And if
1: yeah, I, I, I can. I, I'm, I'm happy to elaborate on that a little bit. First of all, one of the, one of the things that that still small voice told me uh almost immediately upon my entry into AA years ago was that I I can't control what other people are going to do and that if I'm going to have fidelity to the program of 12 step I'm going to watch people die and that oh. that difficulty is something that um that, that that's something I simply have to accept mm-hmm. that I came from a very hard, hard-nosed hard school of AAs who said, Patrick, you're going to step over a lot of bodies to get to the ones that want to live. This disease is cunning, baffling, powerful. The idea that I can convince someone to recover is based in ego. All I can do is share what works for me. And then what the still small voice says to me is, is, is this is who you are, keep doing this work people will come to you and will accept what you have to offer at some point. But it's your desire to be helpful. There's, there's an interesting line that I've crossed on a number of occasions. My desire to be helpful became a desire to control. Yeah. Um, I want to control what they do. I want to control how they are. I want to look good. If they, if they recover, I'll look good. Um, my yeah. life will be easier. It's really rooted in some of the stuff around my four-step in that, you know, if you people would just do what I tell you, we'd all get along better. Um,
3: Right.
1: You know, that's my baseline existence is is if you just do this stuff, my life would be simpler. That's where the healthy boundaries come in. I decline people. Um, You know, I'll work with them once or twice, and then I decline. Um, I decline the invitation. I'll say that, you know, it's pretty obvious that my voice wasn't the voice you needed to hear. And and by the way, there's a reminder in the big book, try some controlled drinking, try it more than once. I don't know where I'm meeting people on their journey. That's between them and God. If I'm encountering them in the middle of their walk to to hell, what I'm able to do is provide them with information that recovery is available, but I'm not in charge of whether they pick it up or not. It's a simple kit of spiritual tools. My job is to keep the toolkit well-oiled, open, And the tools laid out on the table, if you don't want to pick them up, God bless, who's next? I've put a lot of people in the ground on the AA side, and I'm grateful for it. It's terrible. It's tragic. I hate it every time it happens. But it has gotten me clear on this one particular thing. And my experience in OA has too. You know, I've got four toes missing on my feet from my resistance to the idea that I needed to live spiritually. Right, I have a visceral reminder of my self-will on a daily basis. That's what it took for me to be reminded. I don't know what it's going to take for anybody else. I'm I'm with you on the desperation, but I also have to be willing to 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 decline the invitation to work with people who simply aren't at that point and look for the ones who are willing. You know, the first question I ask somebody I'm sponsored, I'm going to sponsor in any in in any of this is are you willing to go to any length? And here's what that looks like. I lay it out for them. This is what your experience is. Is you know, this is the fidelity you need to have to the program. And please don't waste my time if you're not willing to do that. You've got to be committed to the idea that this thing is is between them and God. And and that if they're not willing to do the work necessary, if they just want somebody to talk to and complain to all day, you know, I'm sorry. That's I'm not a therapist. I'm not. I don't have. The, the capacity to deal with that stuff. What we have is a spiritual path, and if they're willing to work that path, God bless. If they're not, okay, I, I've got to move on. I hope that was helpful.
0: Thank you, Elizabeth D. Santa H., star one to unmute. Good
3: morning, my fellows, and thank you, Patrick and Leah, for your service. My name is Santa H. And I am from Montclair, New Jersey and calling in from Silvers, from um, Powder Springs, Georgia. Uh, my question to you, Patrick, is it struck me and it does make sense as I'm thinking about it that you said a spiritual experience began at step one. Um, but the big book talks about a spiritual experience beginning in step nine. Can you talk more about that, please?
1: Well, I yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a really um, this is a really individual path, and, and the, you know, the, the book does talk about uh, the spiritual experience beginning in in step nine when when the healing begins. I think that for most, for for many of us, it's it's the 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 uh, the visceral uh, example of spiritual living because I get in front of these people that my disease is harmed, my selfishness is harmed, and I begin to experience some of the uh, meaningful uh, engagement in that process that results in some healing. Um, You know, and even if they don't go quote-unquote well, where people, you know, I've been told to bleep off and never speak to people again in amends, and it was some of the best stuff that ever happened to me because it it made me realize just how ugly my disease can show up in other people's lives. Um I my my spiritual experience I think begin began when I said okay, I've got to get help. I, I that's just that's mine, it's personal. It it doesn't necessarily jive with what's in the book, but I believe that that anybody who's willing to begin to seek um, a relationship with a power greater than themselves is 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 having uh, a spiritual experience. They may not be aware of it. You may not feel like it's happening, but I see a lot of spirituality in anybody that wants to change. You know, that is the human spirit saying, "No, I'm not going to settle for this. I'm not going to. I'm not going to live in this illness. I'm going to take whatever action." I see a cancer patient going into chemo treatment as a spiritual act right this shit's going to kick their ass it's going to make them puke it's going to you're going to lose your hair but you're going to submit yourself to this treatment that's a spiritual act that's an act of courage it's it's persistence it's commitment all the things that we do in 12 step i see as spiritual because what it all we're and 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 here's the thing that that happens is i come to i am a spiritual being who was completely blocked from experiencing my own spirituality by the addiction. It's the removal of the obsession and the addiction that has allowed me to, in, to, to, to find myself, so to speak, right? To be authentic to who I am, to be committed to the idea that my purpose on this planet is to help other alcoholics and compulsive overeaters. And if I stay true to that, then the rest of my life is like sprinkles uh, you know, it, it it's 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 like uh, it's like sprinkles on the donut. Forgive the reference. I don't want to trigger anybody here, but it it really is sort of um, you know the 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 uh, the gilding of the lily, so to speak. It's the it's you know it's it's the it's the gift that I receive as a result of being willing to to work this. I think a spiritual experience is defined by the by the person who's Who's having it? But I'm a big believer that if you don't do those night stepping uh, amends, you're it's going to be really difficult to live spiritually. Um, I'm I'm huge on amends, and and I, I find that it's really where people will you know step sideways and say no thank you um, because they have an opinion about an experience they haven't had. Um, you know, I, I I see it pretty consistently that people avoid. Uncomfortable amends because they believe um, they're not going to be able to endure it, and that goes back to a third step commitment, you know, and a second step belief. What? How big is your God? I have a man in my life that asks me every week, "How big is your God, Patrick? Be big enough to handle your life. He's got a lot going on, but I, I think he's probably big enough to handle your your stuff. So, um, I don't know if that was helpful or not, but that's that's my that's my answer.
0: Thank you, Santa. H for your question, Lynn F. Your turn. Lynn
2: F. Sir one to mute. Oh, sorry. Uh, this is Lynn F. in Aberdeen, Pennsylvania. Good morning, Patrick and Leah. And good morning for your service.
0: Um, mine so, hello? Yep, I'm here. Can you hear me?
1: No, I can't. Hello?
0: Lynn, let's try you again. Star one, time mute, Lynn.
2: Maya, can I be heard?
0: Yes, let's go for your question, please. Thank you.
2: So my question, Patrick, is that uh, you've spoken a lot about growing your healthy relationships and letting go of toxic relationships. And I am so sorry that the codependency and people pleasing. um to... Maybe very briefly um, or uh, about what some of that looks like for you in reality, like uh, either, you know, letting go of someone toxic and then maybe seeking relations that are healthy. Thanks.
1: Well, I, it's, uh it's, it's interesting to me that, um, again, this is sort of an, it's uh, a very individual journey and it's hard to encapsulate my experience with it. in a you know, short answer to this, but the, the first thing I had to do was acknowledge the fact that this is my responsibility, that the people that are in my life are there by my invitation that I am responsible for every, and whatever they're doing or however they're behaving is really their business. And one of the things that's helped me with this is, is a book called the four agreements. Um, by Don Miguel Ruiz uh, it's a it's a it's an important text in my life uh, it adds to my my spiritual practice but it and the other thing that I've done is is I've consulted with a lot of um, very um, I call them black belt Al-Anons um, I have people in my, my, my life that advise me when things are difficult uh, and I follow their directions whether I like them or not I don't try to control it uh, and I seek out people who are like-minded. I seek out people, I'm very patient. I take my time getting to know people. Um, I probably, you know, I I can probably count on two hands outside of my immediate family, the the people that I really have in my circle and I trust now. I'm amongst thousands of other recovery people on a regular basis every year, you know, I go to conventions, I I get asked to speak, I I do a lot of things and I'm around a lot of people in recovery and I have quality acquaintances with them. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to invite them into my life necessarily um, at a a deeper level. I'm really careful about that. I watch you. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of what's coming out of people's mouth is way less important than what I see you doing or behaving. And I don't give a lot of third chances to people. Um, I'll give you a second chance in my life, but if you violate my trust in, in uh, a, a second time, you're not going to get a third opportunity um, because that's selfish of me. It's selfish of me to demand that you change so I feel better about myself. The most selfish, I came, I did a four-step inventory uh, with an Al-Anon uh, individual in my life, and what, what came out of that was is that the most selfish thing I do is ask other people to change so I feel better about myself it's my responsibility to um, if I want to feel better about the relationships in my life, it's my responsibility to change the situation. I can't look to other people to change in order for me to feel better about it. It's it's uh and that's by the way, that might be one of the biggest um, hurdles I had in life to get to a place where I feel like I'm in, you know, that I'm responsible for, for the relationships in my life now. Um, I have people I love deeply who are really toxic, and I'm able to be around them occasionally in short bursts and to be of loving service to them because God, you know, I go to God and say, hey, give me the strength and courage to be with this person today no matter what the circumstances are. You know, I, I, I did work with a chronically homeless mentally ill population for 12 years in Minneapolis here. I, I was I had to engage with a lot of people who were very, very ill, um, I'm familiar, and, and that you know that work has helped me hone this skill. That being said, I think anybody that's willing to look at their life and the people in it, and take responsibility for the fact that those people are there by your invitation, um, you know, I, I think that that's the beginning. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of work and a lot of time to uh, to look at the at this at this stuff. Um, there's a fellowship for it. Um, And I think a lot of us who are around people who are, you know, in active addiction or or even family members or whatever really need that. Um, One of the big hurdles I had to get over was the fact that, you know, I need to have folks uh, who are invested in in the Al-Anon program in my recovery circle. It doesn't mean I'm, you know, I, again, I'm not a member of Al-Anon. I wouldn't claim to be that, but boy, I sure do have some folks that are willing to tell me the truth about the nature of how I'm showing up in people's lives and how other people are showing up in lives. And I found that if I pay attention to how I'm showing up in other people's lives, the quality of the people that show up in my life changes. So, so again, it's about that responsibility. Thanks,
0: Lynn. That's all. Mm-hmm. Thank
1: you. Thank Thanks.
0: you so much. Thanks, Lynn, for the question. Sharon Kay, your turn. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. I can. Go ahead with your okay, question. Perfect. Um, so I really,
2: really like the piece you talked about, accountability. I find that so helpful in my program. Um, and what I'm struggling with right now is um, a lot of the people in my support group and and my sponsor, too, Um they kind of take you through to step 12, like until you've kind of finished the understanding and reading of step 12. And then, you know, they move on to a newcomer. And, um, and so I'm, I'm just interested in how you go about finding a person or that group of people to talk to on a daily basis for that accountability you know without kind of going back through the whole like one of the nice things about your sponsor is they do know everything about you you know because they've gone through your fourth step and your ninth step and all of that no i get it
1: Um, i get it
2: and so yeah
1: okay so um the the the, you have to it's for me it was about going to meeting and seeking out lots of meetings and seeking out like-minded people and by the way you're on a phone call um in which I think there's access to some phone numbers at some point with with a bunch of like-minded people. So being willing to develop and, and ask and but the most important aspect of this is once I, you know I, like I'll, I'll talk to somebody for a while I'll get to know them for a little bit I'll, I'll watch them, um, the actions they take. I'll you know one of the biggest indicators to me of of somebody that I might want to engage in this spiritual consent thing is is if I see them get up out of their chair and walk across the room and greet a newcomer, right? You know, if if they're staying in their chair, I don't know if they're really on the path, because all this program's designed is for me to carry the message to someone who still suffers. If I'm in a meeting and a newcomer walks in the door, you know, watch the people that get up and walk towards them. Those might be the people that you want to begin to engage in this level of accountability around. And then it's about asking and giving spiritual consent. It's, it's having a, a rather open, vulnerable, difficult conversation with people in which you say, Hey, listen, I've got some stuff in my life. I'd like to, I, you know, I'd like to develop some accountability around, are you willing to participate in that with some fidelity, with some regularity? And then it's, you know, then I'm reading them my 10 step uh, inventory once a week. I read it to my sponsor every day, but, um, I'm reading my 10th step to these individuals on, on a weekly basis. I'll accumulate them and then read them all and say, here's what, what do you think? Um, it's, it's really about spiritual consent and finding like-minded people. And that's a search. That's again, that responsibility of me going out and seeking that in my life. And it might take some time to develop it. You know, I've been around the recovery fellowships for six, 16 years. I, I've, I've and, and, you know, five years in, in uh, I've been, in a way for five years. I haven't been abstinent for five years, but I've been in a way for five years. Um, I've been abstinence for, for, uh, um, a little over 18 months. I had a slip while I was in the hospital in, in 2018. Um, but, uh, what I found, and, and by the way, what got me, it was a one day slip and what got me out of that was accountability. You know, I was accountable immediately because I had people in my life that I trusted that wouldn't condemn me for that. That would just say, "Okay, what do we need to do to get you back on the?" I was at a very vulnerable time in my life, and and that's why the accountability is important because people will be there when you need them. Because um, we're all going to need need each other at some point. I mean, that's just the that's just the way it works. Um, so it's about seeking that out. It's about putting effort into. Looking for like-minded people, striking up the conversations, being open about the fact that it's, that's something you want and need in your life. Because my experience has been, when I begin to talk about, hey, I, you know, I, I really like to have an accountability circle. Other people are seeking it too. They just don't know how to go about it. So it's about starting that conversation and 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 just being willing to be vulnerable with it. My the 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 greatest gift that, that much of this work in my life has given me is my ability to zip myself open, lay myself out in front of people, and not be connected to what they think or believe about me anymore. This is who I am. It is who I am, and I am comfortable with who I am today. Ask me tomorrow, you might get a different answer. But today, I am comfortable with the fact that I am a flawed human being who needs help. Um, and I think that's again. It's a. It's. I, I'm not here to appear well. I'm here to get well, um, and and it's a big difference. I, I spent a lot of time in in recovery fellowships trying to look well, and I got sick. I almost died. So today it's about being uh, better and not trying to just look better. I hope that was helpful.
0: Thank you, Sharon Kay. For your question, thanks for all the questions. This is a wonderful place to wrap up. Thank you, Patrick. It was an absolute delight and such a splendid time uh spent with you this morning. Thank you for your generous spirit and helpfulness Again, the share i d for this morning's presentation fourteen thousand one hundred and sixty that's one four. 160. We're going to close the way we always close here. On page 164, you'll notice it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us.